and welcome to the Neurodivergence and Mental Health Podcast. My name is Sally Nilsson and I'm a psychotherapist, published author, public speaker and mum. I discovered my autism and ADHD aged 56 in March 2021 and having rewritten my life story, I'm on a quest to advocate for neurodivergent community. I hope you enjoy listening to my incredible guests sharing their experiences of autism, ADHD, dyslexia, dyspraxia, dyscalculia, Tourette's and OCD. We talk about growing up, education, work and personal stories and how mental health has played its part in shaping lives. Our conversations cover spectrums, traits, challenges, acceptance and successes. So sit back, relax and find out what it means to feel, think and be different in a neurotypical world. Hello Madge and thank you very much for taking part in the Neurodivergence and Mental Health podcast. And uh, as you know, we're just having a chat. It's like we're meeting for a coffee and, you know, I've gone round your different um, social media platforms and listened to podcasts with you on it and, you know, read up about you really and your Facebook page and, and you dip your toes into so many different things and you've got lots of lovely interests. So um, I'm really going to enjoy this podcast because there's lots to talk about. So um, I'd like to ask you, if I may, um, just to introduce yourself. And um, really, it's basically just your name, roughly where you live, and briefly what you do as far as work and your interest in neurodivergence is concerned. It's a, it's a bit about what is your neurodivergence as well, please. And over to you, Madge. Hi, thanks, Sally. What a lovely introduction. So <laughs> I'm, I'm super excited to be here. I'm a big fan of your podcast already. And I know some of your previous guests, some of them are friends of mine. So that's where I heard about you from. So, um, so yeah, my name's Madge Woolard. Um, I live in Sheffield with my wife, Jo. And um, for my work, I'm a self-employed music teacher. I teach piano and keyboard privately and in school. And that's in fact the only job I've ever done since leaving uni, which is about 28 years ago now. So I've been long, a long time self-employed, running my own business. Um, I was diagnosed autistic in 2016 at the age of 44. So late diagnosed and uh, yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant. And uh, we, we will talk about this a little bit more, but well, I was so interested. Um, you went to, well, we will talk about this more, but you know, as you were, you were at Cambridge and it was, was um, yeah. the organ. And for me, you know, as soon as I go into a beautiful church like Ely Cathedral or any of these lovely mm. cathedrals, and I see those pipes, you know, mm. and listen, and listen to them it's amazing and then you get the other end of the uh, other end where you're going to a tiny little church and they're completely out of tune and it's absolutely <laughs> so we'll come back to that so thank you so much for telling me that and um so within autism um do you have any other co-occurring conditions that go with your autism 
Not as far as I know at all. No, I think I'm quite unusual for an autistic female. Though in fact, I do identify as non-binary. I might talk a bit more about that later, that I actually feel I fall in between male and female. But I'm she, her pronouns. You can call me she, her, or any pronouns. I don't really mind. <laughs> I get so confused. Thank you very much for that. But, but yeah, no, no other neurodivergent conditions as far okay. as I know. Thank you. So you're a lovely, pure, happy, lovely <laughs> autist, and that's, that is wonderful. And yes, we absolutely will talk about um, you and lovely Joe later. So yeah. tell me all about that. So thank you very much for that. So um, I do like to ask my guests because this is such an important part of our journey. Um, and my journey, you know, I was only diagnosed at age 56. Mm -hmm in March um, 2021 so I'm a newbie and it was it was very difficult and in my previous podcast I mentioned this I'm not going to talk about mm. it today because I want to talk to you about it but I would like to ask you Madge can you just tell me a little bit about your assessment and diagnosis journey was it straightforward or difficult and how is your life now that you're diagnosed specifically around your mental well-being uh, so um, when I first suspected I was autistic, it was my wife, Jo, who said, oh, I think you might be. Um, why don't you go and go get this checked out? So I went to the GP and, and she said, oh, don't be silly. You're in a good job, good relationship. Um, if you're autistic, why do you even need to know that? Oh, and no. I said, I said, excuse me, if I am, I, need, I, I have a right to know. Yes. So, um, so I did eventually get her to refer me onto the Sheffield Autism Assessment Service and then I waited a full 12 months, it's longer than that now, but um, at that time it was, well I waited 12 months and then 9.31 morning I got a phone call saying we've had a cancellation at 10 o'clock, do you want to come on down? So oh with no, no preparation or anything I went to, for, this, for my first appointment and I only had an hour that day because then I had to go on to school to work work so yeah. I had to have the appointment in two stages so I went back six weeks later and um, she said fairly near the beginning I'm absolutely certain you're autistic you tick all the boxes and I was, I was flabbergasted at that because I thought I thought I had a few traits but I had no idea that they diagnosed me so quickly Incredible. so um, but what she said to me was um, I've never met anyone who's managed it so well and uh, that was fantastic affirmation to have that made me feel really positive and it was actually it's very nice to have um to, for her to have said right at the very beginning, I can more mm. or less say right at the very beginning that I'm almost 100% sure you are, because I had to wait nearly two hours before my fantastic Sarah Hendricks, who I mm. absolutely think is amazing, before she gave mm -hmm. me my diagnosis right at the very end. Mm -hmm. So it's in your head, the whole interview. Yeah. Mm. What's she going to say? What's she going to say? Mm. Oh, it's all very terrifying. So that's lovely. So, you know, how did you feel afterwards and how, you know, what did it do for you getting that diagnosis? Well, straight afterwards, I, I kind of shut down because it is such a lot to process. Yeah. And for about the best part of the next two weeks afterwards, I just went to bed and just felt very tired because yeah. I just didn't know how to react. But um, then I got my hands on as many books as I could get hold of and started reading up on it, started making links on social media. And um, and, and also joined the, my theatre group, Spectrum Theatre, which I'll speak a bit more about later. 
And that's, you know, the thing is, is that if we, well, I really do hope that we have a lot of um, neurotypical or non-autistic people um, listening to the podcast, and they may listen to you, sit, you know, w with me saying, um, and I had to go to bed for two, you know, you say it quite yeah. in a deadpan yeah. way, oh yes, I had to go to bed for two weeks in order to process it. And, you know, non-autistic people would think, you went to bed two weeks to process well, no, it wasn't literally Why, like, I'm not, I bed all the time but I yes, just but, felt extremely tired but even so I know what you mean mm -hmm. because my mum was ill as well she was in hospital and then I, it was the run up to the diagnosis and afterwards and I was I was polaxed on my sofa uh, mm. watching horror films, knitting and eating ice cream. Mm. And, it, and it was literally for a mm. week for me because mm. it's such a big thing to process, yeah. wasn't it? So mm. thank you very much for telling me that. And, and, you know, I suppose really it's just that last bit, you know, what do you think now that, you know, after you got processed, you know, how does it sit with you now that you're, you know, you're a happy autist? You know, how do you feel? Well, yeah, I feel pretty positive about it, but um, I still haven't told everybody. My family and my close friends are all fine with it. But at work, um, unless I have a connection with like an autistic student that I'm working with, who I might mention it. And generally at work, I don't mention it because I think there's still quite a lot of stigma around um, any professional. Um, I'm sure you'll realise this, Sally, maybe some people who come to you who don't know you're autistic, um, they, might, um, they might not think you're going to do such a good job. They might think you lack empathy or something, which I is ridiculous, as we know. It is, and, and I, get, I do get what, what mm. you're saying mm. from where you're coming from. I do understand that completely. But what I did is, um, as soon as I was diagnosed and got my diagnosis, I came out immediately. Mm. I changed all my website, all my directories, and mm. then I went niche straight away. So mm. I wanted to see neurodivergent mm. clients, and I wanted to say, I'm neurodivergent, and mm. I can help you. We, we're on a similar journey. Mm. And But what was happening is I was seeing people who didn't know they were, so I was helping mm. them. And I was saying, I cannot assess mm. or diagnose. That's not for me to do. That's for psychologists. But mm. I can observe. And if I see a number of different behaviours mm. or things you're saying or your history mm. and experience, well, have a chat about it and, and I'll send you resources. So it depends. But I can see why you might decide not to do that. And it's each to their own and anyone can self-diagnose. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm getting there with coming out. And like, yeah. like being LGBT, I didn't come out as gay straight away when I realised I was. That, that took years to fully come out. Did it. And so you will take it in the time you need. And mm -hmm. it's completely right. Completely yeah. right for you. So um, I love hearing a little bit about people's personal histories, you know, and I, I could talk to you for hours on this because I'm a bit of an anthropology sort of paleoanthropologist. I just love humans and behaviour and everything else. So I'd love it if you, um, Madge, can just tell me a little bit about, you know, what was it like for you growing up, you know, primary, middle, secondary school and then college and university? It's really sort of about your learning abilities and struggles with education generally and we'll talk a bit more about it as far as mental health later on but you tell me what you want to tell me about mm -hmm. education mm -hmm. well I, I was a very odd child i think if i was at school now i'd be diagnosed at age five without a doubt because some yeah. um, soon as from starting school i didn't play with other children i was on my own in the playground i preferred to make up imaginary friends and just the whole sensory hell of the playground the noise and um the fact that everybody played running around games 
and I've got two left feet and can't catch a ball. So that immediately puts me at a disadvantage for, other, for playing games with other children. So I preferred to be on my own. So um, it wasn't until sort of late primary school that I began to really make any friends. And, and, then, and, and then there was secondary school. Um, I was very lucky at secondary school because I was at a school with a special music programme which I auditioned for at age 11 and I got on that which meant that I, I, had, um, I had piano and clarinet tuition, I was in the choir and the wind band and had musicianship classes so I got taken out of regular classes to do all that and that was my special interest so that was brilliant for any autistic person to be able to do this yeah, in that bit, this is my ADHD mind. When you say something really interesting, I just pop in if that's okay, because uh, I'm really fascinated with what you're saying. And I mean, isn't that such a wonderful thing? Because, you know, to be taken out and to be able to really immerse yourself in your total passion. Um, I'm not sure if they would have been able to do that with me, because I'm, I was really into albatrosses. And <laughs> and lego and uh and there was nothing like that for me and um and i was just getting into trouble and bulldozing into people's roofs and saying the wrong thing and getting bullied it was horrendous mm. but it would have been so wonderful to have had somebody who noticed the things about me drama was mine i guess a little bit but i love the fact that you were given that opportunity so that you could you know really sort of be in the choir and be with your music mm. and then that carried on. So after secondary school, what happened with college and univers uh, university, Madge? Well, I went on to Cambridge to do a music degree and um, I should have said earlier that through a lot of my childhood, I was what would now be called selectively mute. I was a very, very quiet child. I would go sometimes whole days at school where I would only answer my name in the register and that's about all I would say. And yes. it wasn't so much anxiety as just that I didn't have anything to say to the other kids because I didn't have anything in common with them. Yeah. So, um, but by the time I got to uni, I was sort of talking a bit more and, and I still didn't really make close friendships, but I did at least have acquaintances at uni. And, um, and that, I went to Cambridge and I got this organ scholarship, which obviously was brilliant, a fantastic opportunity. So again, I, I, I threw myself into my music and I had all that to do. So that kind of covered up the fact that my social life was, was basically a disaster. It is really interesting about selective mutism and, and, I, and people have touched on it. I think it's the first time I've had a guest who's spoken about it. And the reason I jump is such a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Um, it is, yeah. I, I listen to it on an audio because I'm better um, with audio, funnily enough, because I've got auditory yeah. processing yeah. issues. Yeah. But I love, I love that to understand. And I'm trying to learn more about it because just because somebody doesn't speak, it doesn't mean to say that they haven't got a lot to say but not everything needs to be with words there's yeah. so many other ways to communicate and i hope that as time goes by people will accept that and that you'll yeah. be able to communicate with ipads or with drawing yeah. or with any other way but i do understand what you're saying not wanting to speak because you don't have anything in common yeah. with the other person and you don't feel like you've yeah. got anything to say totally get that 
Yeah, and I also I always loved writing, so um, reading and writing came very naturally to me. I say I'm probably hyperlexic, so I basically taught myself to read before I started school. So once I got there, it was fairly easy. And writing has always come more easily to me than speaking, anyway. So mm -hmm. I used to write reams and reams as a child. I, I wrote diaries and stories and all sorts. So I communicated that way more than in spoken word. And I love that. Uh, I, I love that very much. I, I used to carry around a little um, typewriter. I used to take a <laughs> plane. I didn't know that was an autistic thing. So I love writing and I love diarising and I bullet journal now. And I, I do understand that. And, um, um, and we are, well, we're going to come on to drama because, you know, you've gone from non-verbal and then you've got your lovely theatre group. We're going to come on to that. And um, so... Yes, yeah, so you come out of university and, and I'm going to ask you a question. You can talk about your mental health in a moment, and please, if you would. And uh, many of us, we can find it hard hearing praise and criticism. I know I can. Imposter syndrome, all that sort of thing. What would you say has been, you know, some of your biggest achievements, which you can feel proud about? Well, I was talking with my wife about this the other day and she was saying that um, it's more about feeling gratitude. That's how she feels. So things that we're grateful for rather than what we're proud of. And that, that rings true for me as well. So, so yeah, I feel very grateful I had the opportunity to go to Cambridge and be an organ scholar. That was an incredible opportunity. And um, quite recently, um, a few years ago, I've, I started doing my own songwriting and um, I've released an album and an EP of songs that I've written, although that's kind of dried up in the last two years. It was kind of something I went frantically at for a few years and then kind of dried up. But I'm very proud that, I, um, that I, I'm very grateful that I had an opportunity to record an album and an EP. Well, let's see if we can put a rocket up that then, because <laughs> we definitely put the links at the, in the mm -hmm. show. Yeah, and, share the links. And, you know, this, is, this community and the whole point about the podcast, actually, is to give other people a platform um, mm -hmm. to share what they do, because so many people are interested in listening to the podcast and, you know, and they want to know more about the people that are on there. And I think that's, that's absolutely wonderful. And... Uh, I'm just having a look. Oh, yeah, I'll come through to that about music as well. So that is fantastic. And uh, so anything else? Have you got anything else, any other achievements that you're grateful for? I'm not just the fact I've managed to run my own business for so long. I never thought when I started it in my 20s that I'd still be teaching now at 50 and still got a, got a waiting list of people who want lessons. So I'm, I'm overbooked. And that is brilliant. And well done, you know, and I don't mean that in a funny way. That it, it is difficult, but I do think us lot, we, we do like working for ourselves. I don't know why I spent so many years trying to people please and boss please and everything else when I really should have just been um, taking you know notice of my gut feel and working for myself so that I could be responsible for my mistakes and learn from them and I didn't have people telling me off so <laughs> yeah I understand that you know there were two times in your life Madge when you know you did have particular mental health challenges please can you tell us a little bit about that um, well, the first one was in my teens. When I was 12, my parents split up. Um, it was all amicable enough, but um, when my sister and I didn't know at all that it was coming. It was just one day my dad announced that he was moving out, and, I and we didn't even know that they'd, been, that they'd had arguments or anything. So that was, that was a bit of a shock. 
And at first I was just, I was just curious to see how this would pan out. And I thought it was a bit cool because a lot of the cool kids had divorced parents. Yeah, <laughs> but yes. then sort of a year or so down the line, my mum was pretty unhappy. She was on, all on her own. And, um, and also around this time, I was starting to get bullied at school quite a lot. I was called weird handicap freak on a daily basis. And it was just verbal bullying, but that sort of thing does get... Just just emotional right. abuse is just as hard as getting mm -hmm. smacked in the face, absolutely. Oh, you poor thing, that must have been mm -hmm. so tough for you. What, how did you handle that? One should realise that maybe it's not as cool as you thought it was. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what sort of stuff was happening after that? So, um, so yeah, I had this other people calling me names every day sort of thing. And I did try and throw myself into my schoolwork, but, but then um, I started um, developing an eating disorder. I did have mild anorexia all through my teens, but it was, it was never actually diagnosed by a, by, by a professional. So I basically just slowly got better and um, I never had to, I never ended up in hospital on a drip or anything like that. Thank, Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> but it could have gone one of two ways and luckily, luckily it went upwards and I did get better yeah, but um, really it wasn't an easy time and I do there, there's some really fascinating research about autism and anorexia and how yeah. girls really mask their eating disorders when they're young but then when when the hormones kick in and, and when mm -hmm. they're much more aware and they become teenagers and it can be quite late up to sort of 16 they can't mask it anymore and, mm. and then because they can't mask it anymore because they, they're starving themselves, they're getting <laughs> ill with the, with the anorexia, mm. then the mental health kicks in and it becomes a massive problem. And yeah, I know it's really pathologized. And sometimes yeah. these poor girls, they go into hospital and they're just treating not eating. They're not mm. understanding that it's to do with autism as well. What do you yeah, think about that? Right. Yeah, I think it's a real tragedy, and um, uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm lucky I didn't end up like that. Okay. But it's it's good that more there are more things now being found out the links between autism and eating disorders because um, yeah, before so. people didn't didn't know. No, they didn't, and I really mm. hope so, especially in some of the residential and medical institutions, so that. You know, because an autistic person put into strip lights with lots of people, lots yeah. of noises, people prodding you, trying mm -hmm. to put um, tubes down your throat. I mean, that's just absolutely that's terrible. Right Awful. And then, and then again, a bit later on in your life, Madge, you you were struggling again. What what happened then? So yeah, just a couple of years ago, um, when COVID hit, obviously that hit everybody. It was pretty traumatic for everybody. But at the same time, I was going through menopause and I, I had a, an early menopause because of a medical condition that I have. That means I had to have injections, which meant my menopause came slightly earlier than it would have done with, with all the side effects like the hot flushes and insomnia and all those horrible sorts of things. It is so horrible. that plus all the changes due to COVID. And because I'm sort of with autistic black and white thinking, I thought, oh, we're all doomed when COVID first hit and didn't yeah. know how that was going to pan out and so all that got a bit much and I'd, I'd say it was still just mild depression and anxiety I kind of lost interest in in things around that time and I'm slowly slowly getting it back now I think but and, and was, you're, um, you're making a really good point actually and I think this might be something you could contribute to at a later date I don't know whether non-autistic people or 
you know, just even generally, the, the menopause is such a, a benchmark, it's such a watershed, mm. it's such a change in a woman, and perhaps when we're autistic as well, and, and if we're ADHD, we have problems with estrogen, yeah. and, um, and it was incredibly hard. I, I mm. found it hard. I could not bear the hot mm. flushes. So if you imagine sensory issues with a yeah. hot flush, I actually think, I, for me, it was horrific because I couldn't mm. bear the feeling of suddenly going all hot and sweaty. Yeah. I just mm. hated it. Did you have that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's more the insomnia, I think, and the, the heightened sensory issues. Um, and I often find just around the house, just when my wife's doing the washing up or banging about in the kitchen, I'm like, oh, I have to put my hands in my ears. And yes. so I did that with the, that didn't happen before menopause. Um, uh, absolutely. I think much more should be written about that. I haven't seen an awful lot. I know there's quite a lot in America, but um, yeah, thank you very much for bringing that up. That's definitely something that we would um, talk more about. And um, so just tell me a little bit about your wonderful work as a music teacher, you know, um, and, and a bit about how it was affected during COVID. But it is your passion, it's your life. You know, please just get, give us some, some, a lovely story, your journey as a music teacher. Um, well, I'll tell you one of the loveliest stories about my work. Um, okay. It's someone who I, I worked with for several years, an autistic boy who came to me aged nine, and three other teachers had already rejected him because of the way he learned. He learned entirely by ear, had perfect pitch, which I don't have, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I have good relative pitch, but not perfect. Yeah. So, um, and, and this boy, he, he hardly spoke when he came to me, but he, he felt comfortable with me, stayed with me until he was 21, I think, and then he went on to do music at uni. So I taught him for about 12 years. I also taught one of his friends for a few years, also autistic, who went on to the same uni. And just the, the difference I made in those boys' lives, just, just warms my heart to think that I could do that for people. It is so, so wonderful. And, and I absolutely do get that. And, and I have, um, you know, one of my past clients, I mean, not being sort of confidential or anything, but it's on a similar thing about, um, you know, lovely family set up, you know, loves her mum, all this kind of stuff. But it was a tap teacher um, when she was a child. And that, that person took her completely out of herself, gave her so much confidence, showed her how to be better and, and just do what she wanted to do. And, mm. and I think it's really wonderful what you did for that person, that they've gone on to college and it's mm. been just with you. Mm. And that'll happen again. You know, you've got, you're, you're, you know, you're saying you're 50, well, there's a good 20, 30, 40 years. You match, don't forget. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I think I will need to retire in about 10 years' time or something. <laughs> well, we never know if we can afford it with the way the economy is going, but that's that's a lovely, lovely story. And uh, and you know, let uh, this I haven't given you this question, but if you don't mind me asking, you know, you you all through your life you you've been involved in music. Can I just ask you, do you still love playing the piano or the organ um, for pleasure? Um, well, I still play the organ for services um, a couple of times a month um, and not so much for pleasure now. Unfortunately, I think working with it has taken out a bit of the pleasure and um, <laughs> I, I, I still do sometimes, but really not as much as I should and certainly not as much as I used to. I can understand mm -hmm. that my, my friend's an art therapist for um, 
um, you know, mental health challenged um, adults and, and she used to do such lovely art. And I think I asked her that question, you know, uh, do you ever, do you ever paint for pleasure? And she doesn't have time because she's so embroiled mm -hmm. in it, but it's, it is really wonderful work that you do. Um, just a little thing, because I'm really interested in yours, but if you don't mind, I just want to share um, my experience as well, because we, we've got something that's very similar and in common. So, um, you know, years ago, um, in my school days, I used to love to mimic and to improvise. And I actually used to impersonate the impersonators, people like Stanley Baxter and Michael Howard, Les Dawson, you know, fun, really funny like that. Um, and, and so I did lots of drama at uh, school and then college. Um, and then it was left for sort of, oh my goodness, 40 odd years, or, I don't know, a long time. And 17 years ago, I joined a local community drama group and it was a production called The 12 Days of Christmas covering social issues um, in Crawley, where we live at the moment. And my part was, it was a bit of a Peggy Mitchell character. And I had to stand up on a plinth in the round and do a two minute monologue, which was absolutely terrifying. It got harder for each production, but it was, I felt quite proud that I did it because it, you know, it was really, really good fun. And, um, but I understand that you're part of a community theatre group. Please tell me more about, uh, about your group and, and what you've done. Yeah, so the group I'm in is Spectrum Theatre Sheffield. Um, we're, we're a theatre group for autistic people and others. So there's about just over half of us are probably autistic. And oh, then there's other people who are, who are parents or, or friends of the director who's neurotypical. Um, we're about 40 of us normally, uh, 30 to 40 people. Although obviously with COVID, it's gone a bit out of the window and we've been chatting on Zoom and we, we haven't really been doing rehearsals like we were. But um, I joined shortly after I got diagnosed, so that was 2017 I joined. And we've done, for three Christmases, we did big shows every Christmas. We did a version of A Christmas Carol, um, one, it was set in the modern day in Sheffield that our director wrote for us. Wonderful. And um, he's brilliant at writing shows and writing music for them. And um, Oh, we have our signature show, which is called In Someone Else's Shoes, which we've performed several times. And that's about the experience of being autistic, which was written in conjunction with all the cast. And one of our future projects is to write um, Someone Else's Shoes 2, which is specifically about autistic adults as opposed to children. That's fantastic, and I and I will remind at the end. But if it's on YouTube or if there's any links, or if anyone in the area can go and see it, I'll I'll, I'll ask you to put that in the links because that sounds absolutely wonderful. And uh, and and that's a big group. Forty. Yeah, it's an amazing group. At least half being um, autistic or neurodivergent. Wonderful. I love that. So um, I know you were saying earlier about uh, writing music and your album and your um, EP, EP, that's not a fashion word, isn't it? And, and uh, one of the things you do is write theme tunes. And I'd like to ask you about Heather Peace. And the reason I know her is because she played um, uh, one of the teachers um, and became a lesbian character within Waterloo Road. And actually my eldest son, um, 
absolutely loves Waterloo Road and he watches it on a loop. Um, and Heather, she was recently in an audio play, So Crocodile, which was written by Samantha Grierson, who's another guest on the podcast, a director and writer of audio plays, and they're all so, so brilliant. But you really love Heather Peace. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about your relationship with that uh, Heather. Well, um, I've been a fan of Heather since she was in Lit Service, which is a lesbian drama that was on BBC Three about 10 years ago now. And, and then I found out that, that Heather wrote music and I got really into her music. Saw her live in Sheffield. Um, it was about 2013 I first saw her live and I've seen her at least 20 times since then. So <laughs> I'm a big fan, yeah. And, and what sort of music, is she the singer? What, what sort of music? Um... Yeah, she writes her own songs, so singer-songwriter. Sort of and what music. sort of genre is she? Just sort of, um, she's influenced a lot by 70s, 80s pop, I would say, the sort of stuff I grew up with, because we're around the same age. 80s, something. 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I don't know about you, are you Generation X? I am. Um, yeah, I suppose you call it Generation X. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> we're yeah. the coolest. Sorry, yeah. but we are. My husband's <laughs> Generation X. I love it. Oh, yes. So I'm part of Heather's fan club and we have fan club conventions every year in Brighton, or we did before COVID. That's where Heather lives, down in Brighton. So we sort of get to hang out with her in the pub and, and then she does a gig for us. And um, people come from all over the world for these conventions. We've had people coming from America and Australia and um, she's got some fans in far-flung places. And that's wonderful, but you did something very special, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, the amazing thing, the, the first time I went to one of these, um, we're just hanging out with Heather in the pub on the, the night before she was doing her gig and um and I told her that I'd written a song for her baby daughter that had just been born well I'd sent her the song a few weeks before and um I said I'd love to play it at the gig and she said oh why don't you be my support act and play three <laughs> of your songs so that was incredible being a support act to my, one of my idols and, uh, oh, what an achievement <laughs> when I was asking you earlier about your achievements that's <laughs> <laughs> That's so fabulous. I mean, can you imagine that? It's like, it's like, I don't know what it's like. It's like, uh, the, so, you know, going to the Brit Awards and then somebody, mm -hmm. somebody mentioning the Titanic and then somebody <laughs> saying, oh, there's somebody in the audience who, whose grandfather, great-grandfather did something and all of a sudden I'm up at the Brit Awards. Talking, <laughs> oh. Now, I think that's absolutely wonderful, Madge. And, and it's so lovely to have a fan club. And, mm -hmm. um, I don't know if I've got a fan club. Who would it be for? <laughs> I'll be in your fan club, Sally. Oh, thank you. But that, I think that's absolutely lovely. Yeah, can I go on to talk about um, how I wrote a theme song for Samantha Grierson's audio play? Yes, I would love you how, to do that. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so I first listened to Sam's plays um, when she, she brought out Empire starring Heather Peace, um, in which Heather plays an autistic character called Drax. And that was the first one of her plays that I listened to. And I thought, wow, this is somebody who's representing me. And the, the representation was amazing. And then she went on to write Crocodile also starring Heather as an autistic character. So this was like, wow, Heather plus autism. <laughs> Two things to do with me. I love this representation. So I got in touch with Sam, we got chatting and we became friends online over lockdown. And I got to meet her in person last year as well. We Aww. hung out in Stratford-on-Avon and I met her gorgeous puppy Doogie. <laughs> so oh yes, what a lovely dog. And actually, 
Sam is going to train, I think she's training Doogie's uh, service dog. And that, yeah, that's great. I hope that happens. And she is lovely, and I really hope yes. that I am starting to meet some of my podcast yeah. guests, but I'm meeting one on the February in Brighton. I'm meeting another one at a Lego convention. So <laughs> you know, if I'm up around your neck of the woods, I'll meet you too. So oh, yeah, I've got a theme tune for... Um, for Samantha, and so I've got to, yeah. I'm going to have to re-listen just so I can hear your theme tune. Yeah, so the place called How to Drop a Piano, so that's obviously ready-made for a piano theme tune. <laughs> and we <laughs> love that because Matt yeah. Speaks, who played... Uh, that's right, Matt Speaks was on the podcast as well, weren't they? And mm -hmm. Samantha as well. So yeah. We're all in it together. We're creating yeah. a lovely, wonderful family <laughs> um, and, and helping each other. So oh, I, I love that. So you're married to Joe. And um, I just wanted to ask you, you know, what do you do together um, as, you know, uh, you know, as a couple in order to keep mentally and physically healthy, really? And, and also a bit about um, both of you being autistic. Yeah. How does that work as far as being, I'd say, you're autistic, you're same sex yeah. and, you know, and you're married? Tell me about that, you know, all of that. Yeah, so it works pretty well generally. I mean, we, we've been together 21 years now. Been so just been married for four years. We, we didn't think we were the marrying type initially, but uh, then we realised we weren't getting any younger and we weren't going anywhere, so we thought we might as well tie the knot. And, uh, so um, things we do to look after our mental health. Um, we like going for walks. We're very lucky we live near the Peak District in Derbyshire. And so we get out there when we can. We've got a lot of lovely parks near us in Sheffield. And, um, and we both share very similar values. We're both vegans. I was a vegan and then, and then Joe became vegan when we met. And that's wonderful. And uh, well, you'd be proud of me then, because um, I, as much as I, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm a bit carnivorous as well. But last night I put my hand to making a... Um, a takadal and have to say it was rather scrummy and I used they weren't the the tiny little bird's eye chilies they were the green finger chilies which are perfect so it had a bite to it but I really want to work a lot more with dolls and aubergines and other things that um to keep me off the meat so I mean that that is very good not just for your health but for the planet as well and walking you don't have to tell me about that. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping to move to um, Somerset and we'll have the Mendip Hills. I love walking in nature. And one thing, because I broke both my ankles in 2020, which wasn't terribly fun, but so I've got to be a bit careful. But hill walking, and you're talking about the Peak District, hill walking is just fantastic because the reward is A, getting to the top and seeing what a fantastic view, and then B, getting to walk back down again. How do you think yeah. about that? Yeah, it's wonderful. Very lucky to have so many lovely hills nearby. Oh, it is. And, uh, you know, you're, you'll add a few years onto your life just for getting out in nature, getting that lovely oxygen inside you and being with somebody you love. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Very lucky. 21 years. That's, that's yeah. a really long relationship. I've got my 25th next year. Not sure what we're going to do for that. We're terrible. We keep forgetting our anniversaries, but hey-ho. So yeah. <laughs> I've... Um, Oh, I've seen this lovely photo and I, and, and, you know, I, I haven't gone into detail about it. So you're going to tell, it, tell me about it now, please. Um, I saw a lovely photo of you at a cat cafe. 
<laughs> and uh, I'm always posting about our cat Willow. We call her Willow the Decapitator because she brings in <laughs> various creatures, which is, and I can't put a bell on her because she's autistic and she would not like a bell ringing by her ear. So I'm not going to do that. I just have to kind of try and save as many of these creatures as I can. So tell me about the cat cafe. It looks fab. Yeah, it was just down the road from us in Sheffield and we don't have any animals living with us anymore, unfortunately. Um, and I did have cats before Joe moved in with me, but Joe is not a cat fan for the very reason that you were saying about Willow. She just does not like what, what they do to birds. Yes. So um, I understand that. So we compromised and got guinea pigs, but our last <laughs> guinea pig died last year, sadly. Um, we're thinking about getting a dog sometime, but they, they take up so much time that we and need to... And they're very dependent, aren't yeah. they? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we're waiting until one or both of us is retired, really, to, um, to, to get a dog, I think. But, um, so, the, the, in the meantime, we do things like go to the cat cafe, or I do. Joe wouldn't be too bothered about it, but um, this cafe has about 10 cats that just wander around while you're sat with your coffee and cake. And they come up to you and you can stroke them and some um, yeah it's lovely and which is your favorite cat oh i don't know i've got a favorite i love them all <laughs> it is lovely i i'm on tiktok i love tiktok and and of course i watch all the crazy cat videos all the time and i'm not keen on the serval mix cat um i have to say because i think they should be on the african savannah but i do love seeing i love it when you see dogs and cats together and the wonderful mm. relationship that they can have together so maybe i'll think about it but i have a bit of a sensory problem with dogs um because i'm very olfactory sensory mm. um that's you know smell and I just can't bear the smell of dogs. Yeah, they do smell when they're, when they're wet, don't they? Yeah, and, and when they get a bit older, it's, I can yeah. live with that a little bit, but it's the dog poop. Yeah. I can cope with cat poop, but I can't cope with dog poop. So yeah. it's a bit of a problem with it. I'm picking it up. <laughs> anyway, we'll go past that one, but um, the cat cafe sounds absolutely lovely. Yeah. So um, there's a new book uh, due for release on the 21st of April called Learning from Autistic Teachers. And please put the link on it um, in the show notes. And, uh, and I understand that you contributed to that. Can you tell us a bit about it? It, it, it looks really fascinating. I've had a quick look on um, Amazon with quite a lot of contributors covering lots of different areas. And education is so important. Um, tell me a bit about your contribution and more about the book, Madge. Yeah, so the book's called Learning from Autistic Teachers, How to Be a Neurodiversity Friendly School. And each chapter is written by a different autistic teacher. And this is really busting stereotypes because lots of people think that we can't be teachers or that we can't be good Rubbish! Yeah, I agree. <laughs> and, and my chapter is called Life on the Margins, a Peripatetic Perspective. So it's about my peripatetic music teaching in schools and also being LGBT and autistic. So very much on the margins. And that is fantastic. And you just said a lovely word there, which I'll probably have difficulty with because it sounds like another word that I can't pronounce. Peripatetic. Peripatetic. It just means a visiting. It just means visiting, basically. It's a posh word for somebody who goes around different schools. Oh, right. Okay, that's interesting. So, how can I use that in a sentence? <laughs> Not being a te teacher, but how could I be peripatetic? <laughs> 
I don't, I've not really heard it used in other contexts. It's mainly to do with teachers or... Um... Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to look that one up afterwards because I love, I love words. Yeah. And um, I'm a bit of a ma malaprop. I'm a bit like Ethel from East Old EastEnders and... Or is it Dot? I don't know. I'm, all, I'm, I'm, a, I'm good at the old malaprop, I have to say. So um, when... when um, is it April? When's it been? Yeah, it's April it comes out. That's right. Very exciting. And um, so, again, please, there is a link. If you wouldn't mind putting, you know, I'll ask you for links afterwards. If yeah. you back on, mm -hmm. people can read about it on Amazon. And mm -hmm. uh, very, very important. You know, I, I see teachers as clients and uh, I, love the, I love that there are more um, autistic teachers. Mm -hmm. And the wonderful Amy Re uh, Richards, her Squareped podcast, and who puts my mm -hmm. podcast together, used to be a teacher. Yeah. And, you know, it's a hard enough job as it is with bureaucracy, which sometimes mm -hmm. we're not very good at, and organising and various different things like that. So um, very worthwhile, you know, so put, pop that in. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a really big question, but we've got plenty of time and I'd like you to take your time in, in asking uh, in answering this question please because you are a teacher and education is so important and other the whole of society so here we go how would you like to see positive change at home at school and in the workplace to help all neurodivergent people be included and respected as valuable members of society well, um, I'd say the main thing is to look at our strengths rather than our deficits because the medical model of autism is so much built up on our deficits and what we can't do and even just the words people use like autism spectrum disorder or attention deficit disorder it's horrible it's based on our uh, that's basing it on our things we can't do I want people to look at what we can do which is is lots of things obviously and um, I think it's such a tragedy for when some, somebody gets diagnosed and their parents are, are told, oh, so-and-so is autistic, and the parent goes, oh, what, what, what a tragedy, my child will never, never amount to anything. Yeah. And we need to change the narrative around that. So that's why things like this book that's coming out is so important, I think. It is. It, it, mm -hmm. it really, really is. And um, actually, um, I've... I'm talking to uh, Tigger Pritchard and David Gray Hammond, and they're very, very much into this. And, and it's because I'm quite a newbie, I'm really feeling this a lot. I can't stand all the pathologizing, the clinical, the medicalization of it, the things about light spectrum 10 and cures and all this stuff. I want to see a world where we don't even have terms. We don't yeah. have any terms at all. Um, and that we, people aren't pointing at us. You know, people need to be around us, make mm. friends with us, understand that there's, we, there is a neuro tribe, there, there are, we are different, yeah. a lot of us are, but for 56 years, nobody knew I was autistic in ADHD, mm. they just mm. called me Mad Sally. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well you can call me yeah. that if you like, or you can just respect me a little bit more yeah. and understand that I have a different neurotype. Um, and, and, and so that people can accommodate and work harder. We've got a long way to go, haven't we, man? Yeah, yeah. And I also like to, I'd like the um, the route towards adult diagnosis to be easier. And um, the, there shouldn't be these ridiculously long waiting times. There shouldn't be barriers to going through a GP. And um, and when I went for my diagnosis, the last question that she asked me, she said, um, I can only give you the diagnosis if you can say that autism has significantly impaired your life. 
And I thought, excuse me, I've just, you just told me I'm autistic, whether or not it's impaired my life shouldn't make a difference to getting the diagnosis. So I said, yes, it had impaired my life, but it has also significantly enhanced it. It's worked both ways. So that, that, that question, question. should not be in the, in the assessment criteria. No, well, there's lots that shouldn't either. Yeah, um, it's like putting the cart before the horse, because yes, it does impair our life, but, but the, the diagnosis should come first and the impairments um, things that are created by living in a neurotypical world. I, I agree, and uh, and people need to understand a lot more. It's like people say we 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 don't we don't have empathy. We don't understand metaphor, which mm. we absolutely do. Loads yeah. of us love language, mm. we, and loads of us love jokes. I mean, I don't get jokes very much, but I love like mm. telling them. And and you know, I totally get what you're saying. Um, that a lot needs to change, but I think you know, I prefer not to be very activisty and and shouting and screaming about it I, I quite like to you know just say look here i am if you want to know more about it uh, get lots of lovely guests onto a podcast they can share their different experiences people like your good self match oh, it's brilliant what you're doing sally so keep up the good work i know thank you so much and i am very very grateful for you to come on board and and you know, I, I love everything that you do. Let's work together. You know, we're all holding hands, running down a big hill like Little House on the Prairie with the music going in the background and where's one of us falling over and getting up and laughing our heads off. I imagine that. We've got that wonderful image in our heads now. So, um, Madge, thank you so much for our, our wonderful time together. We'll have the links put on um, at the bottom. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm following you on social media because I think you're wonderful. And uh, have a great 2022 and uh, enjoy the Cat Cafe. <laughs> Thanks very much, Sally. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye, Madge. Thank you so much. Right, so you want me to send you the links? Um, what do you want um, to yeah, I'm going to email you. It's all yeah. going to go on the notes. Thank you so mm. much. All the best. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to the Neurodivergence and Mental Health Podcast. Links and resources will be at the end in the show notes. I very much look forward to meeting you again. Thanks for listening. Bye.